Thanks for listening to the Refuel Podcast. Be sure to tune in every Thursday for a new episode. Welcome, everyone, to night three of Big Butts of the Bible. Uh, I'm going to be honest, I have no idea why Matt allowed me to come up here and speak for a second, a second night, but if this goes horribly, um, sorry in advance, and you can play Matt for all of this. This ends up being a complete disaster. But tonight's book that we're going to be talking, talking about is a very important one. And it's about God's will for our lives and how we oftentimes tend to disobey that or have something that is different from God's, from God's plan. And our but is, but I have plans, or another way of saying that is, but I'm going places. How many of you guys have heard of this book series, the Choose Your Own Adventure book? book <laughs> Man, he's really excited about this. These, these books were really popular in the 70s, 80s, and, and 90s when a lot of the youth group leaders were growing up. These were, these were interactive books that were marketed towards children. By interactive, what I mean is that when you were reading these books, you were thrust into the role of the main character or the protagonist. And throughout the story, you're presented with, a, with different sets of options that you have to pick from. For instance, if you pick one option, you're told to p- turn to page 20. If you pick another option, you're told to turn to page 30. And throughout, this, throughout the book, you're presented with these choices. And depending on the choices that you pick, that determined the outcome that you experience in this story. And all of these books have 20, 30, 40 plus different outcomes in them. For instance, this one, The Cave of Time, which is probably the, one of the most popular books in this series, the outcomes range from being taken away in a lifeboat while the Titanic is sinking, being trapped in the Ice Age and living with cavemen, to living in the, being trapped in the Jurassic period and ultimately being eaten by a T-Rex, to if you're fortunate enough making it back to your own time and living happily ever after. But my point is you can see how drastically different those outcomes are based on the choices that you make as you're reading these stories. And similarly in life, we make choices every day that have different, different outcomes or different effects. Now, some of them are relatively insignificant, such as deciding what are we going to wear today to school? What am I going to eat for lunch or dinner? To some more significant ones that you guys are going to have to decide in the future, such as where am I going to go to college? What am I going to major in? After I graduate, where am I going to live? Where am I going to spend the rest of my life? And who am I going to date slash who am I going to marry? You guys that are a point in your life here in high school where you, where you are going to be facing some major crossroads as you get older and you make your way through high school and out of high school. And so you're going to have to decide which choice are you going to take. Are you going to go to the right or are you going to go to the left? Should you stay or should you go? If you're familiar with the matrix, should you eat the red pill or the blue pill? Whatever analogy you want to make. But oftentimes those choices, it's going to come down to whose will are you going to follow? Your will or God's will? And that leads into my question for tonight that has our big butt in it, is whose butt are you going to follow? Are you going to follow your butt or God's butt? And that segues way into our verse for tonight, Proverbs 16, verse 9, which says, The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. There's three points that I want to go over tonight that tie into this verse. And the first one is that the heart acts in its own interest. I'm sure many of us have heard somebody be described as being good-hearted, somebody who's kind, nice, and loving, saying that they're good-hearted, they have a good heart. And that may be how we, as humans, describe people, but that's not how God describes people. God doesn't say that people are good-hearted or that they have a good heart. You see, God would view our hearts to an extent as being cruel, dark, evil, like the Grinch's three sizes too small than they ought to, than they ought to be. And the reason for that is because he says nothing good comes out of the heart. If you have your Bibles, whether it's a printed copy or an electronic copy, turn to Mark chapter 7. 
And listen to what Jesus had to say to his disciples when he was describing the heart. Jesus says this, For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Now, if I asked you guys to find one good characteristic, one good thing that comes out of the heart based on that passage, none of you guys would be able to raise your hand and answer that. Because that passage tells us that nothing good originates from the heart. Now, you may, say, now you may be saying, Matthew, I don't struggle with the majority of these. My heart isn't played or corrupted by, by the majority of these sins. And while that may be the case, what one of these issues that all of us struggle with is pride. And that oftentimes contradicts God's will. You see, when we disobey God and go against his will, that's oftentimes a result of our pride. In this case, us saying that, I know better than God, I know what's best for me, not God. And I want to show you guys three examples of Old Testament characters and how their pride got the best of them. The first one is Jonah. Now, we're all familiar with the story of Jonah, how he was swallowed by a giant fish or whale and spent three days in its belly. But you know the reason why he was swallowed by a giant fish? Remember in chapter 1, God told Jonah to go to the city of Nineveh, which was the capital of the Assyrian Empire, and preach to them that God's judgment was coming to them. But instead of going to Nineveh, Jonah decided to go the opposite direction. He decided to get in a boat and flee for a city called Tarshish before being swallowed, ultimately being swallowed by this giant fish or whale. And the reason that God had to send this fish to him is because Jonah knew in his heart that if these, these people, these citizens of Nineveh, repented from their sins, God would spare them from judgment and cast his mercy upon them. But that's not what Jonah's pride wanted to happen. See, Jonah said, I know better than you, God. These people don't deserve your mercy. They don't deserve your love. They don't deserve to be repented of their sins. They deserve death and judgment. And so because of that pride, God had to send this giant fish to correct Jonah's path, as well as his attitude. There's a second character, King Uzziah, found in 2 Chronicles chapter 26. King Uzziah was the 10th king of the nation of Judah. He became king at the age of, age of 16. And although for many years he followed God and walked with God, doing many great things, such as fortifying the city of Jerusalem against its enemies, such as the Moabites and the Philistines, he eventually became so powerful that his pride and ego got the best of him to the point where one day he was found in the temple burning incense. Now, that may not seem like something harmful or sinful, but at this time, there was only one person who was allowed to burn incense in the temple, and that was the priest. And so Azariah, along with his group of priests, came and told King Uzziah, you're not allowed to burn incense. But King Uzziah's pride said, I'm the king, I can do whatever I want. And because of that, his body was completely plagued and taken over by leprosy. And as a result, he was cast out of the temple and spent the rest of his life alone as a leper before he died. And then the final example, the first example of pride affecting humankind, is the story of Adam and Eve. See, if you remember, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden were allowed to eat from any tree except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But instead of obeying God, they decided to, go to listen to their pride. And that pride wanted the same power as God to be able to know good from evil. And we all know how the rest of that story goes. As a result of their disobedience and eating of that forbidden fruit, Sin was ushered into the world and affects all of us and all of humankind. And so my takeaway from these three stories is that oftentimes listening to our heart and our pride results in bad consequences and bad outcomes. And so if we know that nothing good comes out of the heart based on these stories and based on that passage in Mark chapter 7, 
then why would I want to listen to my own heart as a, and listen to what it thinks is best for me as opposed to what God says is best for me? And so that's my first point. The heart acts in its own interest. There's a second point based on Proverbs 16, verse 9, and that is that God is in control of my life and therefore my plans. Guys, do you realize that when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, when you got to the point that day that you acknowledged and accepted that you were a sinner and that the only way that you could get to heaven is by putting your faith in Jesus, acknowledging that he came onto this planet, died on a cross for your sins, that it was so much more than you just praying a prayer and believing those things. There was this change that started to take place inside of you, this transformation from the inside out that occurred in you. 2 Corinthians 5.17, my favorite verse in the Bible, describes it this way, you became a new, a new creation. And when that took place, your lives were, for the rest of your life, were controlled and owned by God. And when I say that, I don't mean that in a creepy sense, sort of like God's, you know, controlling us and operating us like voodoo dolls or attaches strings to us and controls us like puppets as he's the marionette and hangs over, over us. But in a way that when we were saved, the Holy Spirit now dwells inside of us and compels us to act in a way and move in a way that's in accordance with God's nature and God's plan for, for our lives. Look at, this, look at this passage in 1 Corinthians 6 and look at it this, this way. Paul's writing here to the church of Corinth, and he says this. He says, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. This is the English Standard Version, but I love how the King James Version words it. At the very end of this, it says, so glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's. It adds that extra emphasis there and reminds us that we are not our own, that our bodies and our lives are now owned, owned by God. The Holy Spirit now dwells inside of us. And that completely contradicts what society says, right? That completely contradicts what our society, what our culture says. We are a very self-centered culture that says it's all about me. Whereas what God says that it's not about me, it was never about me, and it's never going to be about me, me, and you. And when we submit our lives to God, that means that we may have to humble ourselves and set aside our dreams, our goals, our ambitions, our plans that we've made for the rest, rest of our lives, for that greater calling that God's made for, given to each of us. And that may be hard. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. That may not be easy. Some of you guys, I imagine, are, are planners where, where you like to plan out the rest of your day, the rest of your week, the rest of your life, because you have specific goals and ambitions. And some of you guys may be like Leslie, Leslie Nope from Parks and Rec, who's notorious for using these planners and binders. Matt, you can go to the next, next slide. Thank you. Where if she has a goal, if she has a vision, she uses this massive, this massive planner or binder, and she has everything mapped out for the next, the next day, the next week, the next month, the next year. Maybe some of you guys are like that. Maybe some of you guys have these specific goals or plans where I'm going to go to Marshall University, I'm going to get this degree, I'm going to live in Huntington for the rest of my life, I'm going to marry this type of husband or this type of wife, I'm going to get this really nice house on a hill, it's going to have a white picket fence around it, we're going to have a pool in the backyard, you know, I'm going to have three kids, I'm going to have two boys and a girl, and we're going to have this nice, cute, golden Labrador, Labrador retriever dog. You've got it all figured out. And I imagine that some of you guys are like that, where you have the rest of your life mapped out and you know what you want to do, how you want the rest of it to unfold. But I hate to break it to you guys, but that's not how it works. And I imagine if we were face-to-face with God and we presented him, those of you who are, who are planners, and you presented this massive binder to him with its tabs and dividers for the rest of your life and your plans, and you presented them to God, God would simply just take those plans, 
you know, look at them, flip through, flip through the pages, and take it and completely toss it aside. And the reason why he may do that is not because he doesn't care about our plans, not because he doesn't love us. Remember that in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus told his disciples that if God's going to take care of a sparrow and look after a sparrow, think about how much more he's going to look after you and me. That's the kind of God that, that we follow. That's the kind of God that we serve. But he tells us that he's got a completely different plan for us that may be opposite from what we thought of. Some of you guys may not end up going to Marshall. Some of you guys may end up going to a college out of state. Some of you guys may end up doing a different major than what you've thought of right now. You guys may end up changing your major a couple times in college. After you graduate, some of you guys may not end up living in Huntington, West Virginia for the rest of your lives. Some of you may live in a different city, in a different state. Some of you guys, God may call to be a pastor or a pastor's wife or perhaps a missionary and share the gospel on the other side of the world. Some of you guys, God may not have in your future for you to be married. God may call you to the celibate life because he has plans for you, for you to serve him in a way that you can only do if you don't have a wife or a husband or kids to look after. And again, it's not because God doesn't care about our plans. It's because God loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us and to share his word with us. And in his word, when we open it, he reminds us that I've got something better for you. I've got something better for you. Or as Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I've got prosperous plans for you. I have plans to make you prosperous. Not in the way that we think of, not the way that, that modern society thinks of, but in the eternal sense. He says, I have plans to make you prosperous. And that leads into my third and final point for tonight, is that no plan is better than God's plan. There's three reasons I want to go over as to why no plan is better than God's plan. The first one is that it was preconceived. Listen to what God has to say to Jeremiah in chapter 1, verses 4 to 5. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. And I appointed you a prophet to the nations. You know, what's great about God's plan, unlike our plans most of the time, is that it's not a spontaneous plan. Sometimes we make spontaneous or impromptu plans, fly by the seat of our pants. And oftentimes that doesn't work, work well. Flashback to this summer on the mission trip, late at night, hopping over the pool fence at the hotel and going into the pool after the pool was closed. Not the smartest decision on, on my part. Doesn't always end well, especially in this case when you get in trouble. Oftentimes that's how our spontaneous plans end up. They end up with bad consequences, bad effects. But we can take comfort in the fact that God, before we were even born, set aside this plan for us. He didn't just make it spontaneously, but he gave it a lot of time and attention and love and care. There's a second reason why God's plan is better than our plans, and that it's a unique plan. Remember that verse in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. There's a word in there that says consecrated. Jeremiah was consecrated by God. That word means to be set apart, to be dedicated for some sort of sacred or holy purpose. Realize that when God made a plan for you, he didn't just make it a generic plan that applies to all of us. He didn't give each of us uh, the same task. He loved us so much that he gave each of us a unique plan, a unique plan that's better than any plan that we could have thought of on our own. And realize that, that God is going to give you, giving you right now, and is going to give you someday some sphere of influence where only you can make an impact. Matt McClay, for instance, God called him to be a youth pastor. Those of us who serve in, in the youth group as leaders, God called us to be leaders in the youth group. Those of you that serve in this church in some way, whether it's across the street in the media on Sundays or here on Wednesdays in the media or in the praise team, God called you to that specific purpose, that specific assignment. 
And someday God's going to give you a specific job and send you to a different city, whether it's here in Huntington or somewhere else. Because there's a unique sphere of influence. There's a unique sphere, a group of people that only you can reach with the gospel and to share with them the love of Christ. An assignment that only you specifically can accomplish. And that's something that ought to excite us, that God loved us so much that he gives each of us a unique task every, every day for the rest of our lives. And then the final reason that why no plan is better than God's plan is that it's a precisely timed plan. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, this is King Solomon speaking, talking about God. He says that he has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find what God has done from the beginning to the end. I think all of us would agree that we would live in a society that expects and demands and wants things right now. We don't want to wait until tomorrow. We don't want to wait until the day after that or next week. We want things right now. But that's not how God operates. See, this verse tells us that God has made everything beautiful, including his plan for us, at exactly the right, the right time. Although we want the answers right now, we want things to happen right now, we may get frustrated sometimes at why God isn't answering our prayers. And we may feel like that God has abandoned us. Perhaps that God has forsaken us. But that's not the case. It's simply because it's not the right time. And that's what he tells us in this verse, that he's made everything beautiful in his time when he wants it to happen. It doesn't occur a day too early. It doesn't occur a day too late, but it happens exactly when it's supposed to happen. I'm sure all of us have had moments in our life and we're going to continue to have moments where we look back on what's happened to us and we're going to be thankful that God's unfolded things the way that it happened. We're going to praise him and give him the glory and thank him that things unfolded the way they did at the exact moment that they did occur in time. You know, oftentimes I imagine, you know, we're like kids talking to, to God. Have you ever thought that? Where, you know, if God tells us to do something, if God calls us to do something or obey him in a certain way, we just ask him, why? 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 Sort of like a little, you know, three or four-year-old would act. Or perhaps if, you know, as little kids, you know, they're in, you know, they're in the car with their parents and, you know, their parents are taking them somewhere. You know, perhaps we're going to grandma's house, you know, we ask them, where are we going? Or perhaps, are we there yet? You ever asked that when you were younger? I know I did. And perhaps that's how we talk to God some, sometimes. See, God's given, laid out this whole plan, plan for us in the, form of, in the form of a GPS, perhaps. And we may not know the path, and we may not like the path that he's taking us on. We may not like that the path is long, unwindy, and uncertain, and, and dark, and, and rough. And we may go a different direction. We may steer off that path, either because we don't like the path that he's taken us on or because we're trying to figure out that path, that path on our own. And sometimes we guess incorrectly. Sometimes we steer off, steer off that path. But praise God that he redirects us on that path. And so we ought to be thankful in those situations. Pray to God. And to quote Carrie Underwood, for those of you that are Carrie Underwood fans, Jesus take the wheel so that I don't end up in a ditch. I don't end up on that wrong path and end up in a state that's worse than what you've set out for me. You see, when we steer off the path, we can take comfort that although it may not feel like that God's listening to us, that God's there, not there. When we steer off that wrong path, he steers us back on the right path. Even though we're driving, even though we're always acting, even though we're trying to figure out God's plan and, when God, and God wants us to act and be a part of that, he's got his hands on the wheel as well. And when we steer one way, and if it's the wrong path, he steers us back onto the right path. And we can take comfort that although we don't know what the end destination is, even though we can't see into the darkness, we serve a God who does. So you remember in that verse, it says that God knows the beginning from the end, unlike us. And so when he tells us that he's got something beautiful, something prosperous in store for us, 
Although we can't see it, we can take comfort that because he knows that we can have faith in him. I didn't get a chance to tell the middle schoolers this, but I'll tell you guys this story. Some of you guys know that I was born in Cincinnati, Ohio. I grew up in Cincinnati. I spent most of my life in Cincinnati. I went to high school there. I went to school. I went to college in Ohio. I went to Ohio Northern University, which is two and a half hours north of Cincinnati, to get my doctorate in pharmacy. I'm an intensive care unit pharmacist, so I work in critical care pharmacy. And in order to have the type of job I have, after graduating, you have to do two years of what's called residency or postgraduate training. And so the, my last year of pharmacy school, around the time that I was thinking about applying to residency programs, most of the programs that I applied to were in Cincinnati, Ohio, because that's where I wanted to spend the rest of my life. Those were my selfish thoughts and desires, because I love that city. It's where I spend most of my life. I grew up there. I loved it there. All my family was there. A lot of my close friends and best friends were in Cincinnati. I was going to a great church, a great Bible-believing church. I loved my senior pastor. I loved my college and career pastor. It was a church that I was very active and serving in. I helped out with our media on Sunday mornings. Um, I helped out with the social media for our college and career group. I was one of the singles leaders in our college and career group. That's where I wanted to be for the rest of my life. That's the place where I truly called, called home. And so that's why I applied to most of the residency programs I applied to were in Cincinnati, Ohio. But come match day, when I got the results of where I was going to be spending the next year, God didn't send me to keep me in Cincinnati. Instead, he sent me to Richmond, Virginia, seven and a half hours away. And I was devastated because I had to tell all my friends and family that I wasn't going to be spending the next year in Cincinnati, that it was finally time for, that I was finally going to be leaving. And those six weeks after I graduated, before I left for Richmond, Virginia, were some of the hardest weeks I had experienced because I had to say a lot of goodbyes to people, not knowing if I was going to be back, even though I wanted to come back to Cincinnati someday. Fast forward to partway through that first year when I'm thinking about applying for and interviewing for second years of residency. There was an opportunity for me to come back to Cincinnati and do my second year of residency in critical care at the University of Cincinnati. And I thought that this was it, that the stars were aligning, that this was going to be perfect. Because the program director of the University of Cincinnati, Chris Drogi, he was the guy that made me fall in love with critical care. He was my preceptor for my ICU rotation, my last year of pharmacy school. He was my mentor. He was my idol when it came to all things pharmacy, all things critical care. I walked to that interview and I thought that it's meant to be, it's going to happen. And I was telling all my friends and family that I feel pretty confident that I'm going to be spending the next year in Cincinnati. But instead of going to Cincinnati, back to Cincinnati, God sent me from Richmond, Virginia to Philadelphia. And I did my second year at the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia. And again, for the second time, I had to tell my friends and family that I wasn't going to be spending the next year in Cincinnati. I was going to be in Philadelphia. Even farther away, I was now 10 hours away from Cincinnati than I was when I lived in Richmond, Virginia. And so now fast forward several months around the time that I'm thinking about applying for and interviewing for long-term jobs. I was at the big hospital pharmacy conference in December in Orlando, and I had an informal in-person interview where at St. Mary's here in Huntington, West Virginia. And though I walked out of that interview thinking that I was going to apply for that position, after I thought about it some more, I decided to not apply for it at first, because I wasn't sure if I wanted to spend the rest of my life in the small city with 50,000 people of Huntington, West Virginia. Now fast forward a few more months. I've applied for a few jobs and unfortunately still haven't gotten a job offer. And I'm looking on one of the big pharmacy websites and looking at their job board, and lo and behold, that job posting at St. Mary's is still, is still up. 
And so I think about it and I pray about it and I decide to reach out to the clinical coordinator, the person who eventually would be my boss, and let her know that I'm still interested in the job. Here's my CV. Let me know if you have any questions. She contacts me within a couple hours. We have an informal phone interview. I formally apply, and then within the week, she tells me, hey, we want to bring you on for an on-site interview. On-site interview goes well. She offers me the job. And while all of this is going on, at the same time, there's a smaller hospital back in Cincinnati that reaches out to me and says, hey, we have an ICU position available for you. And this was one of the smaller hospitals that I had interviewed after my first year of residency. I had kept in close contact with some people back at that hospital over the couple of years while I was in residency training. And so they reached out to me and said that, hey, we have an ICU position for you. I had an informal phone interview with them, and they told me, hey, for formality's sake, we're going to offer you an on-site interview. But if that interview goes well, the job's basically yours if you want it. And there was part of me that thought that this was it. After these two years of residency, after God sent me away for this intense training in Richmond, Virginia, and Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, now's the time. Now's the time for me to come back to, to Cincinnati and spend the rest of my life and for my career to unfold in Cincinnati, Ohio. Again, he told me that the job was mine if I wanted, wanted it. I could have told all my friends and family, guys, this is it. I'm finally coming home to Cincinnati. But instead of being so excited about that prospect, the more I thought about it and the more I prayed about it, I got this feeling that, of unease that it wasn't meant to be, that, that God was steering me in a different direction, that he wasn't telling me to go back to Cincinnati, but instead he was telling me to take this job in a small town called Huntington, West Virginia. And I prayed about it a lot, and eventually I had to make one of the hardest decisions, maybe the hardest decision that I've made up to this point, is turning down that job in Cincinnati and telling my contacts there, you know, hey, thank you for reaching out to me. I'm glad that you offered me this job, but I'm going to have to turn it down and take a job elsewhere. And so instead of going back to Cincinnati, for the third time, I had to tell my friends and family that I wasn't going back to Cincinnati, that instead I was going to be going to Huntington, West Virginia. Although I'd be much closer, you know, only being two and a half hours away from Cincinnati than I was when I lived in Philadelphia and Richmond, I still wasn't coming back home. But I'm so thankful that I made that decision, even though it was the hardest decision I had to make, and I'm thankful for the way things turned out. Even though for a couple of months I was still scared, there was a lot of uncertainty. You know, I prayed to God and, you know, asked God, you know, God, am I going to be able to find a good Bible-believing church as good as the one I had back home? God answered that prayer very quickly. And that the first church that I checked out was this one, Lewis Memorial. And you want to know how I found out about that church, this church? Two of our missionaries here at this church, Chad and Wendy Justice, that serve in the Dominican Republic. My church back home, my church back home sponsors those two missionaries and supports them. And so when my single pastor back home found out that I was going to be moving to Huntington, West Virginia, he put me in contact with Chad and Wendy because he knew that this church, Lewis Memorial, he had good, heard great things about it and knew that this was the church they'd come out of. And guys, I don't consider that a coincidence. I don't think that's a coincidence. I think that's a God thing, how God unfolded that and how God put all of that in motion. Another thing that I was worried about is being able to serve, having serving opportunities, because I was very active in my church back home. Very quickly, God opened me up to the media crew where I work on Sunday mornings occasionally. And about a month after that, God called me to be here in the youth group and serve in the role of a youth group leader. And God opened up those doors for me to serve. After a couple months, I was still praying a lot and still, still felt lonely at times because as much as you know, I liked being in Heinz and felt like this was where I was supposed to be, all of my best friends were back home. My family was back home. And for those first couple of months, I would tell myself, you know, I was going to go home every other weekend. But God answered that prayer. And now most of the people that I spend my time with 
are here in the youth group. Either you guys as teenagers or some of our youth group leaders that become my, become my friends here in Huntington. And the reason why I, guys, I tell you guys that story is that as much as I wanted to go back to Cincinnati, God had something better for me, and I'm so thankful things unfolded the way they did. And he answered those prayers, those uncertainties, those worries that I had in ways that I'm so glad that he did, in ways that for eternity's sake have made me, made me prosperous, the way God tells us in Jeremiah 29, verse 11. You know, for many, for many years when I would go back home, every time I would see my grandparents, you know, they would ask, ask me, you know, God or Matt, do you want to come back to Cincinnati someday or do you see yourself coming back to Cincinnati someday? And I would always tell them, yes, I still see myself spending the rest of my life and my career in Cincinnati. And now what I tell them is, when they ask me that every time I go home is, I don't know if I want to go back to Cincinnati. I don't know if I'm going to come back to Cincinnati someday. And I'm not going to focus on that. If God wants me to come back to Cincinnati, I'll go back to Cincinnati. But right now I'm going to focus on what God has for me here in Huntington, West Virginia. And so I tell you guys this story because God had something better for for me. As much as I wanted to, as much as my selfish heart, and there's still part of me that wants to go back, back to Cincinnati. But he had something better for me. And if he has something better for me, then you can trust and have confidence in the fact that he's got something better for you, even though it may not be in complete opposite of what you have, of what your plans are, as opposed to God's plans. And so that leads me back to the question I asked at the beginning. Whose butt are you going to follow? Yours or God's? I have four application, application points, and I was so excited I was able to use F-words for all of these. There's even one of them that has two F-words in it. So, Matt, for your next lesson, the ball's back in your court. <laughs> the first one is to factor God into your plans. Factor God into your plans. Guys, when we pray to God, instead of praying to God for, to make something happen or for a specific thing or event to unfold in our lives, instead what our prayers ought to be is, God, if it's your will, make this happen. God, if that door is meant to be open, open it. And if that door is meant to be closed, then close it. But when we pray, we need to factor God into our plans. The second point is to follow God one step at a time. Have you ever wondered why God doesn't reveal your entire future to you at one point in time? Why there's still a lot of uncertainty? Well, I think it's because that if God revealed the entire future to us, then I think many of us would turn, make a 180 turn and go in the opposite direction. I got saved at Ohio Northern when I was in college. And I guarantee that if God, God told me when I was in high school that I was going to go to Ohio Northern and put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, acknowledge him as my Lord and Savior, I would have done everything in my power to not go to Ohio Northern because of how crazy at the time that I thought that was. But thankfully, I didn't. Thankfully, I went to Ohio Northern and I got saved when I was in college. You see, that's not how God works. See, God reveals things to us one step at a time. There's a verse in Psalm 119 that says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. The Israelites, when they walked, when they walked in the Old Testament in biblical times with oil lanterns, those oil lanterns only revealed what was right ahead of them. It didn't illuminate into, into the distance. So although they could see what was right in front of them, there was still a lot of darkness ahead of them. And that's how things work with us. The way those Israelites walked one step at a time, we're told to follow God one step at a time and trust that he, has our, that he has good plans, prosperous plans for us in the future. And he doesn't want us to walk one step behind him, one step ahead of him. He wants us to walk right alongside him. The third point is we're told to feast on God's word. That verse says, your word is a lamp to my feet. There's many different ways God speaks to us. Maybe it's through prayer. Maybe it's through people that God's placed in your life. 
Maybe it's through thoughts or feelings that God's put, put on your mind and on your hearts. But another way that God speaks to us is his word. We could spend a whole series talking about God's plan for our lives and listening to the will of God and looking at the verses in the Bible that mention the will of God. There's 17 of them to be exact in the English Standard Version. And so if you want to know or get a glimpse of what God's plan for your life is, whether it's the rest of today, the rest of tomorrow, the rest of this week, or for the rest of your life, just open up his word. And then the final point is to face the unknown with faith. I get that the future can be scary. The unknown, the uncertainty, we don't like that. We as human beings, our nature, we want to know everything. We want to know the future right now. We want to know what's going to happen right here, right now. But again, that's not how God, God works. And so we, can, we have to face that, that unknown. But as scary as that can be, we can take confidence in the fact that we serve a God who, again, knows the beginning from, from the end. And because he knows the end, he tells us in his word and through prayer that everything's going to be okay. And so because of that, we can follow him with faith. And what helps us face that unknown is that God's going to be there alongside us the entire time, having his hands on the wheel and holding our hand as well. Let's pray. God, there's so many times um, in our lives, every day, every week, where we disobey you, we rebel against you, and we follow our own heart, our own path, our own will, as opposed to what you've told us to do, what your will for us is. But God, I just thank you that you correct us, that you guide us back on the right path because you love us and because you're merciful and you don't leave us to our own devices. And I thank you, God, that your thoughts are not our thoughts as you tell us in your word. God, I just pray that we would be like Christ. I pray that we would be like your son. When he was in the garden of Gethsemane and, and he was getting ready to die on the cross for us, and he prayed to you and said, God, if it's possible, take this cup of suffering from me. But nevertheless, not, let not my will be done, but your will be done. And so, God, I just pray that we would look to, look to your son as that example. When, when we have to decide who are we going to serve, are we going to serve our own wants and our own desires, or are we going to serve you and listen to what you have to say? God, I pray for the teens and I pray for the leaders here. God, you've got wonderful, beautiful, prosperous plans for, for, all, for all of us. And I just pray that, that, that every day that we would just follow your, your will, whether it's deciding what we're going to do tomorrow, whether it's what we're going to decide to do at the end of this week, this weekend, whether it's what we're going to decide in the future, next month, next, next year, next decade. I just pray that we, would, that, we would, that we would humble ourselves to look at your word, listen to your word, and be, and be reminded every day that your plans are better than any plan that we could ever thought of, think of on our own. And God, I just pray that we would take delight, delight in that. And that would give us a desire to, to, listen, to listen to you and to step out, into, in, step out into the darkness and follow you and follow the path that you've set us on. We love you, Lord. We thank you for this time tonight that we've been able to open your word. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Refuel podcast. If you have any questions or would like to review the notes from this podcast, be sure to download the Refuel app from the App Store on any mobile device.